Open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19 this morning. Some of you rem will remember that long ago and far away, um, last January, we um, started in the book of Acts and we wandered through the book of Acts for a little while. We didn't go verse by verse, but we certainly did narrative section by narrative section and looked at detail with what it is that was going on in that book, the transitional time between the Gospels and the epistles, between the law and grace, that time after Jesus Christ said, go and establish the church. We started working through the book of Acts and we continued in it until late fall when we then jumped into a, our series on worship that we just finished up. And so now I want to come back. We went through chapter 18, so we're going to begin in chapter 19 of Acts. And over the next handful of weeks, we're going to go through and, and we'll finish this book. And as I said, and as a reminder, we certainly did not go through Acts verse by verse, more section by section. Uh, there's some large narrative things in the book of Acts that we looked at and we can study and we can learn all about. And so um, that's what we'll be doing for the next handful of, of weeks uh, as we'll be in the book of Acts starting in this chapter and going forward. In chapter 19, we, we pick back up and it says, It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper region and came to Ephesus and he found some disciples. What this is, is this is the third missionary journey of Paul. It began over in chapter 18. It says in um, verses number 22 and 23 there, when he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church. Then he went down to Antioch. 23 says, and having spent some time there, he left and passed successively through the Galatian region and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. And so off he went on this third missionary journey. Now, the vast majority of your Bibles will probably have maps in the back of them, and, and you can open those up, and you can look, and you can see the first, second, and third missionary journey of Paul's so that you can see exactly where he was and, and what was going on at this point. So he was down, and he began, instead of going along the coast and going up to Ephesus, he went through the region of Galatia. He took an in uh, in toward land and kind of circled around and came over to Ephesus is what he is what he did there and that's why it says that he took the upper country and he came to Ephesus so that's what is going on that's kind of where we're at is that he's in in this just starting this third missionary journey and we want to read the cool things that happened mostly with Paul through the remainder of the book of Acts so our passage for this morning is verses 1 through 10. So follow along as I read those and, and we get all caught up. Verse 2, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. There were in all about 12 men. And he entered the synagogue, and he continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. And when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people, he withdrew from them and took away his disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannius. This took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. 
So he's on this journey, and the Bible does what the Bible does in verse 1 over and over again. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, we studied that at the very end of chapter 18, and, and Apollos was there, and, and, and we read about what went on with all of that. He was at Corinth. Paul passed through the upper region and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. What the Bible does on a regular basis is it talks about a specific time, a specific person, a specific location. We have detail here. Okay, P Apollos is at Corinth, and, and so Paul is going to go through the upper country, through Galatia, and he's going to come to Ephesus. The Bible does that so that we will know that the Bible knows what it's talking about. We can have confidence today that that book that you hold, that you call the Bible, is indeed true, and it is the Word of God. He has explained that to us over and over again. He has laid that out. And when you come to passages like this and read things like this and you think, why the detail? That's why. This is a real, true thing. This happened. This is what went on. This isn't, this isn't Luke making this up so that we can be entertained years after. This is Luke saying, let me tell you what happened as the church began. Let me tell you how it was formed. Let me tell you what these people that we call missionaries and apostles and disciples did in getting the church to be where it was. You can trust the Bible. And you can trust God. And I think that for even us as believers sometimes, that is just a hurdle we have to get over. You can trust the Bible. Just because you come upon a few passages or places once in a while that you don't get doesn't mean you throw out the whole Bible. You study it, and, and you figure it out, and you talk to other people, and you look, and you make sense of it. You can trust the Bible, and you can trust God. He's the one that gave us the Bible. And we need to be reminded of that on a regular basis, don't we? You can trust the Bible. And you can trust God. So Apollos is at Corinth. Paul travels along from Antioch, goes through the region of Galatia, and he comes to this place called Ephesus. It says here at, in, in, um, in verse number 1 that he came to Ephesus. And it says back in chapter 18 that he left Ephesus. He visited them for a while, and he wanted to come back and visit them. In verses 19 through 22, we read about that. He was in Ephesus. He left them. And he said that he wanted to stay a little while. They wanted him to stay, but he couldn't. He said, well, I want to come back to you. And he said that over in verse 21. But taking leave of them, saying, I will return to you again if God wills, he left Ephesus. So he's back now. He wanted to come back, and God granted that he could come back. And so he has a relationship with these folks. You need to understand that. He was looking forward to coming back and being in this place, and that will make sense to us as we continue through this chapter and the next couple here very quickly. So Luke tells us what's going on. He comes to Ephesus. First thing, right off the bat, he finds some disciples. He jumps right into Paul's ministry at Ephesus. He doesn't have any kind of introductory stuff. He, doesn't, he jumps right into the ministry, and immediately Paul is starting to minister right away, and he finds some disciples. Right there, it says in verse 1, he found some disciples. What a great word that is. Disciple. We use it all the time. We say the 12 disciples. 
Do we understand what we're saying and what it means? It means follower. It means pupil. It means learner. At the very root of that Greek word, it means simply to learn. Listen, as a, as a person who says, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior, there is nothing better to be called than a disciple of Jesus Christ. A learner. Somebody that is wanting to know more. Somebody that is wanting to follow. Somebody that is, that is wanting to, to say, I know God, but I want to know him even more. To be called a disciple. Kind of cool to be called a Christian. That's a good thing. But a disciple, a disciple is going beyond that. There are some people that truly learn, and there are some people that go through the motions. I don't do this very often, but every now and again, so you'll understand this. We had three, three daughters. You all know that. We had three daughters. They all three took piano lessons. Two of them learned to play the piano. One of them learned to go through the motions and make the piano make noise. Okay? Two of them were disciples of the piano. One of them was just wanting to be done. And you could tell the difference right away. And I want to challenge you with the fact that there are some of us sometimes in this room, we just want to have the name Christian and move on. Can we be done now? Can I do my own thing? I went to church. Can I go do my own thing? I put my time in. I'm a Christian. Maybe you need to think about being a disciple. Maybe you need to think about being a learner. Let's not be done just because we leave the events of Christianity. Let's study. Let's dig in. Let's see what it is that God has for us. Let's be disciples of Jesus Christ, which goes way beyond whatever it is we may be doing in this building at any given moment. Let's be disciples of Jesus Christ. The interaction that Paul had with these 12, and we understand there were 12 from verse 7, is then explained to us in verses 2 through 6. So what happens is, Paul says to them immediately, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Apparently, Paul recognized that there's something just a little off about these guys. There's just, they're not quite where they need to be. Now, I want to remind you that Acts is a, is a transitional book. And all transitions, all transitions take some time and some adjustments no matter what it is. This is a transitional book that is explaining to us how we go from the law to grace, how we go from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Okay, it's a, it's a transitional book that is helping us understand how we got from there to here. And in that happening, it takes a little while, and there are some adjustments that need to be made. That's what's going on here. They're caught in the middle of this transition still, and they haven't gotten all the information they quite need. And so Paul is going to help them out. So something's off with these guys, and so he asks them a question that is a pretty powerful and direct question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? What makes a believer? What makes a person a Christian? 
what is it that sets us apart that, that we know we're saved? It is the Holy Spirit in us. That's what it is. It is not that you were born into the right family. It is not that you attend the right church. It is not that you read the Bible. It is not that you carry the Bible. It is not that you do any of those religious duties and those activities that people are all fond of doing. It is not that you are the most gracious person in the world. It is not that you are full of helping people and pouring yourself into a community or uh, a cause. None of those things. What makes a person a Christian is whether they have received the Holy Spirit as the gift from God. They've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and they've received the Holy Spirit. That's what makes a Christian. That's the thing. And Paul got right to it here. He, he, there's something wrong with you. Have you received the Holy Spirit? That's what makes us saved. I just want to emphasize that a little bit. Let's turn to three verses real quick. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And verse number 3 is what we're going to look at. And it says this in Ephesians 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now I want you to notice that he then goes down throughout this passage and talks about all the different things that we have received and who we are. And then he finally says in verse 13, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also been Believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as our pledge of our inheritance with the view of the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. It is the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what saves us. That's what makes us different. Why is it that you're able to, to choose properly and live properly and to obey like you ought to and do the things you do? It's not because you have determined that that's what you will do. It's because you have been given power from the Holy Spirit. This is what they talked about in the Old Testament, and this is what came to pass in the New Testament. It is the gift of the Holy Spirit. There are some other verses in the New Testament that talk about that. Let's go back to Acts 19, though. It is the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is, that's what changes us. There's no gap between believing in the Holy Spirit there's no gap between what someone would say is being saved in the Holy Spirit. You are saved. You are given the Holy Spirit that moment. There's no work or chore you have to do to receive the Holy Spirit. You are given the Holy Spirit at your salvation. You are redeemed. You are transformed. The Bible says that you are a new creation, and that is because of the Holy Spirit who is given to you the moment you are saved. That's what separates us from those that do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, it is that we believe, and because we believe, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. So Paul says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, well, no. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So a moment ago I said that the word disciple was a pretty cool word. Did Paul mess up? Did he use a bad word here? No, he really didn't. Because these men were disciples of John the Baptist. These were followers of John the Baptist. They were 
following him and studying him and, and obeying the things that he had laid out. They, they were disciples of the only teaching they knew, John the Baptist. So he asked them a straightforward question, and they asked, they, the answer was simply, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. What in the world is going on here? And then Paul instructs them in the truth. Now this is very similar to what we looked at in chapter 18, because it says in chapter 18, verse 25, this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Transitional time period. And they didn't have all of the facts and all the information. What you have here is you have two examples. In 18 and 19, you have two examples of people that were following and, and being disciples of the teaching of John the Baptist, and they were staying true to the information they had at the time. The problem is they didn't have all the information they needed. It was time for them to be instructed. And so Paul instructs them. And what we read in 18 and 19 is one of the most important things in all of Christianity. Okay? Now, this is important, and, and honestly, make sure you get this. Basically, the same thing is going on in both 18 and 19. You have some dedicated, committed people that were believing what they were taught. One of them was continuing to teach. The others were called disciples. People came along who were acquainted with exactly what happened with Jesus Christ, who had known what he did and, and, and in Paul's case had seen the risen Lord and they had been instructed in the things of God more accurately and they had an understanding of the Holy Spirit and truth. And they said, your heart is in the right place. But you don't have all the information yet. And these two people, in, in, in chapter 18, we see that it was Priscilla and Aquila. In chapter 19, it's Paul who said, listen, we need to teach you a little bit more stuff. They took these sincere, God-loving, God-honoring, God-seeking folks who were teaching incorrectly and believing a little bit incorrectly. And they said, we need to help you out. You have two things that are so important in this passage, and the first one is simply this. You have the willingness of a mature believer who can look at a situation and discern the situation and correct the situation. And the second thing that you have is sincere God-seekers who are willing to be taught and corrected. You see why I said this is one of the most important things in Christianity? I know this will maybe surprise some of you, but not all of us have all the answers in here. In fact, none of us have all the answers in here. In fact, the vast majority of us are confused a lot. And we need people who have a better understanding of that part of Scripture or this part of Scripture or that truth from God or this truth from God to come alongside and say, I want to help you out here. Look, this is what the Bible says. 
and, and you need to understand this as you continue to teach. And you need people to say, well, I appreciate your concern and your time. That's exactly what the Bible does say. In order for this to work, the people in these two stories had to be willing to be instructed. They had to be willing to say, I may not know all the information I need to know. Share with me. Let's see what's going on. We have people that discern and see that some sharing needs to be done, and we have people that are willing to say, yep, I need to learn a little bit more. And in that, we find Christianity being exactly what it needs to be. We need to be open. We need to be open to both challenging people once in a while when we hear a wrong teaching or a wrong philosophy or a wrong idea, and we need to be open once in a while to having somebody come and say, I don't think you're quite where you need to be in that area. And if we can't allow those two things, and if we won't embrace those two things in the church of Jesus Christ, how will we ever grow? We have to embrace those. It's no fun for somebody to come along and say, I don't think you quite got that. That's not an enjoyable thing. But it very well could be that that's how God is using someone in your life to get you to the point where you are a little bit more mature and a little bit more ready to share and have a little bit more knowledge and a little bit more insight into the Scriptures. Are you willing and open for somebody to share? And then, mature believer, are you willing to actually love somebody enough to say, I just wanted to chat with you about this thing. I think maybe I can help you understand that a little bit better. Not out of pride, not out of arrogance, out of a sincere love for God and a love for one another. So that's something that you need to think about in your life. Where are you at with that whole thing? Well, let's continue on with the story here. So Paul simply said to them, what were, what were you baptized? And they said, well, into John's baptism. And so they were, they were baptized. We go all the way back to the beginning of the Gospels and John's baptism. And, and, and Paul's going to instruct them in a little bit. And he says this in verse 4. John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him. That is Jesus. So what was the point of John's baptism, John's ministry? It was all about pointing out to Jesus. Look, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look, there he is. And you need to be baptized. You need to repent right now. You need to get your heart ready so that you are in a position to receive the words of Jesus because he's about to burst upon the scene here. That's what John's baptism was all about. It was a baptism of repentance. Keep in mind that that when we open up the Gospels, we are opening up the Gospels, and we're not reading about Judaism as it's laid out in the Old Testament as it's supposed to be. We're reading about a warped form of Judaism that the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes had changed and corrupted, and it was a mess, and Jesus condemned it regularly. And John came and said, you need to get ready to receive the kingdom of God and the words of the Messiah. Repent. Let's go through this process of baptism so that you are ready and you are declaring for all to see, yep, I'm making a turn, I'm making a change. And so Paul said that that's what his baptism was all about. 
And he said he was doing that, and he was telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him. That is Jesus. Jesus. Because what Paul wanted these guys to understand is that John's baptism was about getting ready for the one who was about to come. And then Paul wanted to say to him, well, he's come. He's lived among us. He's taught among us. He's died for us. He was buried for us. He paid the price of our sin. He shed his own blood as the Lamb of God. He was buried. He rose from the dead. He lives today. He's our Savior. He's our high priest. He's our intercessor. You boys now need Jesus. You need Jesus. And that's what Paul did. He said, what you really need is Jesus. And I, we need to see this. This is so incredibly wonderful. Paul did not spend time with them saying, let me tell you what your mistake was with John's baptism. Let, let me explain to you. The, what he simply said was, you need Jesus. That's, you, you, you guys are you're in the neighborhood. You need Jesus. He simply pointed to Jesus. He pointed to Jesus. As you have an opportunity to talk with people, and especially religious people, if they're not saved, they don't need to have all of their context, their, their, their problems and, 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 and their difficulties and their false religion necessarily fixed right now. You know what they need? They need Jesus. They need Jesus. We need Jesus. That's what we need. That's, that's what we need. I, the vast majority of you in here have heard my testimony, you know, bits and pieces here and there, big chunks, whatever. You know my story. If, if, if the guy who led me to the Lord, if Doug would have said, Kent, Okay, I understand. You're, you're there, man. You're getting it. And, and I would have said, yeah, Doug, I'm excited. I, I really want to know a little bit about more. And if Doug would have said, excellent, but I've, I've watched you. I know who you are. I know the people you hang with, and I know the activities you were involved in. Straighten up. You can come back and talk to me in a week. What? He didn't say any of that stuff. He said, you need Jesus. Because once you have Jesus, guess what happens? You straighten up. You change. Why do you change? Because of what I talked about earlier, the Holy Spirit. I changed, not because Kent was all of a sudden uh, a remarkably amazing person. I changed because the Holy Spirit was alive in Kent, and the Holy Spirit was now working in my life. Because Doug said, you need Jesus. He didn't say quit being a hoodlum. He said, you need Jesus. And then Jesus dealt with the hoodlum part. That's how it works. And that's exactly what happened with Paul. Look at Jesus. Folks, the vast majority of our problems are dealt with if we'll just look to Jesus. We are so busy trying to be religiously right sometimes. We are so busy trying to make sure that we are crossing the T's and dotting the I's. You know what we really need? We need Jesus. We need to embrace him. We need to look to him. We need to follow him. You need to love him. And you need to listen to what he says in your life and respond to the challenges and the prompting and the convicting of the Holy Spirit who is speaking for Jesus. That's what we need to do. We need Jesus. Well, what happens next? When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Because when you look to Jesus, a lot of things just fall into place. And he explained to them what was going on and they were willing to be instructed, and so they were baptized in the name of Jesus right away. Because what follows next, Paul kind of talked about 
John's baptism a little bit. Well, the baptism of Jesus is a baptism which signifies spiritual union with the one who now belongs to Jesus. That's what baptism is. Look, dead, buried, and risen in new life. That's what baptism is. It's symbolizing that union with him, what he has done for me, that I'm like him, that I'm alive now in Jesus. And so they were baptized in the name of Jesus right away. Verse 6 then illustrates this, this transitional nature of the book of Acts that we've seen a handful of times. When Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. Now, I'll remind you, and we've seen this in the book of Acts a handful of times as we went through this, what we see over and over again is there were times when the Holy Spirit was given in, given in a dramatic fashion so that people would understand that the Holy Spirit is given to all these different groups that existed during this transitional time period. This was another one of these groups. Those who were following John. Those who didn't understand quite, this is what's going to happen next. And so as they were explaining what was happening next, it was God's mark and seal of approval upon them saying, look, look. These guys also get the Holy Spirit. These guys also are welcome into the kingdom of God. These guys also are part of the church. And God needed to do that in some dramatic ways every once in a while so that the people would welcome them in and the church would grow. The Bible simply says in verse 7 there were about 12 of them. Verse 8, we move along with Paul's ministry. And he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples. Paul went to where Paul always went. He went into a town, he went to the synagogue, because Paul wanted to see his fellow countrymen know Jesus Christ. He wanted the Jews to know Jesus Christ. Now, his ministry was by and large with many Gentiles, but he always wanted to go to that synagogue and say, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you who I was and what happened to me and who I am. And that's all that we really need to tell people, isn't it? Let me tell you who I was. Let me tell you what happened to me by the power of God, and let me tell you who I am today. And so Paul went to the synagogue to do that very thing. It says in verse 8 that he continued speaking out boldly for three months. <laughs> One of the commentaries that I read said, three months without a riot. That was something of a record for Paul. He was really rolling here. People were listening to what he was saying. He stayed a long time. But then we come to verse 9. <laughs> and Satan was only going to allow it to go on for so long. But before we get to verse 9, notice this. He was reasoning, and he was persuading. Here are the facts. Here's what you need to know. Here's who I was. Here's what happened to me. Here's who I am. And we lay it out. He was being bold with unbelieving Jews because he wanted them to know Jesus Christ. Now, I know we're challenged about this every now and again, but the fact of the matter is we need to be bold with people who don't know Jesus Christ. 
This is who I was. This is what happened to me. This is who I am. Let me, let me explain this to you. Let me reason with you. Let me help you understand that. Let me try to persuade you that God is worthwhile, that Jesus matters, that he is a life-changing God, and that he is a God who saves. That is worth your time to try to explain that to people and to try to reason with them and to persuade them. What Paul was doing, it says in verse 8, was he was reasoning and persuading, persuading them about the kingdom of God, simply about the things of God. Jesus Christ, salvation, righteous living, what it means to be saved and what it means to live with God as your master now and to live the life you're supposed to live. That's what we're supposed to do. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. And nothing has changed with what happens next either. Because what happened next was, but when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, they stood against him. Some people you tell those things to and they're going to embrace it. Some people you tell those things to, they're going to be hard about it and not want to hear it anymore. Okay, that's not your job. Your job is to do what God says to do, which is to tell them, this is who I was, this is what happened to me, and this is who I am. Let me talk to you about the kingdom of God. Let me talk to you about Jesus Christ and how he changes people and how he saves people. Let me talk to you about heaven. And then what, what happens with that after that is not your issue. I know we want it to be our issue, when, but it can't be. We can't change people. But we can be that witness for Jesus Christ. So what happened is there were some people that became hardened. And I, I mentioned in the same school class this morning. Remember that word. Remember we talked a little bit about the hardening of the heart. They became hardened. This is what unsaved people do is they reject and reject and reject and reject. They become hard and hard and hard and hard. To where many people who are unsaved get to a point where I don't want to hear anything about that. Leave me alone. And that's some people's response to the gospel. It was with Paul. It will be with you. It's always been that way. All you need to know about the hardness of man's heart and how tragically devastating sin is is to read the Gospels and to think, why is it that everyone who was in earshot of Jesus Christ wasn't transformed? Was Jesus inadequate? No. What, 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 did he fail in his explanations of the truth? No. Was he mean so that they didn't like him, but the message was okay? No. It was the hardness of the heart. And that's always going to be an issue. Always going to be an issue. So they were hardened and disobedient, rejecting God. And speaking evil of the way, and I like the, the fact that in the book of Acts it calls Christianity the, the way here. The way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We follow the way. It's the way. It's the way to heaven. It's the way to live. It's the way away from hell. It's the way away from sin and discouragement. It's the way toward happiness and joy. It's the way toward contentment. It's the way. We follow the way. Jesus is the way. So that's kind of a, a cool phrase. I, I like that very much. It's a neat thing. So as this hardness happens and they rebel against him, what Paul then did was he withdrew from them and he took away the disciples. Some people were obviously responding. 
and he took them and he was reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannius. The school of Tyrannius was nothing more than there was an individual who owned a lecture hall, if you will, a guy named apparently Tyrannus, and Tyrannus was a guy that would allow people to come and use his lecture hall, and it was an open forum or you could rent rooms and teach in it, and that's all that amounted to. So Paul had a place where he could then take the disciples and he could teach with them on a regular basis and teach the truth and teach the truth and teach the truth. Paul was taught by the Lord and by some very committed followers of Jesus Christ, and then Paul spent the rest of his life sharing that information and teaching other people. It says in verse 10, this took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. The entire area around Ephesus and beyond, and, and if you look at your maps now or later, whenever, you'll see that there's a large area there, and, and many heard about Jesus Christ during this two-year period. In Acts chapter 20, we'll get to it here in a couple weeks, in verse 31, it says that he was there for three years in the Ephesus area. So he would have probably done this for two years, but he would have been there longer than that is the understanding of this. But certainly more than just the two years. And in that two-year time, it is thought to believe that probably seven to ten different churches were planted during this time when he was at Ephesus. And more than likely, all of the churches that are mentioned in Revelation 2 and 3 were planted during this time with the influence of these disciples who were there learning under Paul because they would have come and they would have gained some neat things. And isn't that exactly, exactly how Christianity is supposed to work? As we pour into people, they pour into people who pour into people who pour into people who pour into people. And I just want to challenge you this morning, don't be the one that breaks the chain. You've been poured into. Make sure you're pouring into. Keep it going. Look what God did for you. Look at the people God brought into your life. Now do for other people so that the testimony and the word of the Lord never, never stops. Never stops. Many people, all the people who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. The word was out. What they were doing with it, that's God's job. But the word was out. God was at work and the gospel was being proclaimed. Wrong doctrine was being fixed. Believers were being strengthened. Churches were being planted. It was good stuff. God was at work. He was doing neat things. But as it was then, so it is today. Paul's not here anymore. But his message is still here. Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he did what the Lord told him to do. He's not here anymore, but you're still here. You're filled with the Holy Spirit, and you can do what the Lord tells you to do. And in doing that, the gospel will go forth, and God will accomplish great things. Father, thanks for our time together this morning in the Word of God. Thank you for Paul and for all that he did and, and for the amazing things that we read in the book of Acts. Father, I just pray that you would use this passage of Scripture in our lives. And that we would, we would understand the important truths that we've talked about. And that you would cause us to embrace them and to grow for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.